Hello. I haven't been in this hall in a while. It's looking good. So welcome. My name is Sharon Salzberg, and uh, this is Mark Coleman and Gina Sharp, and together we'll be uh, leading you in this retreat and um, enjoying the process together. I'm really delighted to see you all. It started snowing sort of at the right time, <laughs> you know, at least for us. <laughs> There's still some people on their way. Um, and I'm always happy, of course, to be uh, speaking about loving kindness and uh, to be here. And especially to be here in this season, those of you who've sat in this time before know that this is IMS's anniversary season, that we moved into this building, uh, Valentine's Day of 1976. So that was a while ago. Even when I hear myself saying the center is 30 years old, I have this moment, like part of my mind steps back and thinks, can't be true. It's true. Probably the um, most accurate description, I think, of the, of the center came around our 20th anniversary when somebody was here in the hall, the old hall, and raised their hand and said the thing that astonished them so much about IMS was that it had been founded and was flourishing without any adult supervision whatsoever. <laughs> and 10 years later, it's still true, or <laughs> it still feels that way. So it's one of those very funny things of like, wow, it's 30 years old. And how terrific, you know? It uh, remains a, a tremendous refuge for people, for all of us, to be able to come to a place like this, to drop the ordinary personas that we carry as successful or defeated or frightened or uninteresting or whatever, and we can just be. Uh, it's a tremendous gift in, in this world, in this society, to take this time to be willing to explore. Sometimes it's funny. I mean, even way back when, when I was living in India in the early 70s, before coming back here. And people's family members, like their parents, would write and say, like, well, you're just sitting there in bliss, you know, escaping everything. And, you know, there's no turmoil. There's no edge in what you're doing. And it's, it's just like being in some kind of euphoric blank. And we used to look at each other and say, yeah, I wish, you know. Because it isn't exactly like that. You know, we consider the opportunity of retreat or the practice of meditation as a time where certainly we are opening the door to much greater tranquility and joy and ease and peace and also awareness and clarity and interest and investigation. We see many, many things. I don't think of meditation practice as simply a way of de-stressing or getting calmer, although it is that, and that's no small thing for most of us in our lives. But beyond that, I see it actually as something quite radical, 
I see meditation practice, and especially perhaps in the form of retreat, as such a um, a daring use of our attention, our insight, our consciousness, where we are saying we're willing to step away from what we're accustomed to, what's ordinary, what is convenient, what's familiar, and use our awareness in all of these different ways. So it's, it's a very powerful confrontation with our ideas about aloneness, about who we are, about what we're capable of, about judgment. And it's something that it's quite wonderful because it is so different. It opens the door to such a, a different experience of love and compassion and understanding for ourselves and, and for others. So here we are, about to embark on this particular adventure together. And it is very much like an adventure. I think of that, you know, sometimes in our culture, how our sense of adventure is so very externalized. We think about going to an exotic land or, you know, climbing a mountain or something like that. And it's almost inconceivable that we think about an inner adventure. And yet, it's just what it is. And like any adventure, there are many terrains we, we go through. We go through ups and downs and joys and sorrows, but everything is considered a part of our experience here, a rightful part of our experience. It's not that you're doing it wrong if you find things difficult, because in some ways our goal is inclusion. It's to be able to include every kind of experience in a field of awareness and loving kindness and compassion. So there's no experience that's sort of beyond or too weird or, you know, so awful that it can't be included. And that that really is our learning. What we do in a a retreat in terms of meditation is really like a training ground. Some of you I know are very experienced in meditation, others not so much, and it doesn't really matter because it's like an immersion. It's it's an in-depth exploration and either development of new skills or refining of old skills. It really is like a skills training in many ways. I think of it as, a first of all, it's training and concentration, clearly. Most of us experience ourselves as fairly scattered or distracted or fragmented, and we sit down or we do walking meditation. We dedicate a period of time to the cultivation of concentration, and we learn that it's not that easy. But with patience and perseverance, there's more steadfastness in our minds. There's more centeredness. There's more a sense of actually gathering this fragmented energy and experiencing some wholeness, some integration. We learn the skill of mindfulness, which is actually a skill. In many ways, mindfulness is a quality of relatedness. It's about relationship. One way of defining the quality is an aspect of awareness or a quality of awareness 
where our perception is not distorted by bias. We're not overcome by fears, for example, or some association with a a particular experience. We can be with it more as it is rather than holding so many ideas about it and we shouldn't have it and we should have been able to stop it or whatever it might be. So it's open, it's connected. It removes us from the nearly constant habit we might have of evaluation and judgment. Well, it's day three, you know, I shouldn't have knee pain anymore, whatever it might be. Or, I don't know, I took the resolve never to fall asleep while meditating again. I don't know what's wrong. You know, it helps free us from those constraints of of judgment to really open to our experience. It's like a skill. And we consider loving kindness and compassion like skills. I see them as really bold ways of using our awareness moving out of ruts of judgment and fear and withholding to be willing to experiment with seeing things in different ways, seeing ourselves in different ways, seeing one another in different ways. It really is is like a skill. And here, of course, In a way, the retreat is dedicated most especially to that skill, to those qualities. But even when we're not explicitly referring to it or or doing those techniques, always, always, it's like the bedrock. This is our chance to be different. And even though we may see all of those old habits of uh, distress and judgment arise, We learn to see them more clearly, see through them, not be so caught in them, discover new ways of being. It's really pretty fantastic. And maybe just the the last thing I'll say right now um, is just a, a note of encouragement to really immerse yourself in the experience, to do it wholeheartedly not to worry if you're doing it correctly. Um, You'll find your own pace and your own rhythm. Um, There's a structure, of course, with the schedule, and there's also a lot of freedom. We understand that you're each going to use your intuition in in discerning, you know, just what that flow should look like for you. The goal is to set up an environment where there can be a continuity of practice, whatever whatever that looks like, whatever form it takes for you, and to support that so that there's nothing else you need to do. And if you can bring yourself to not continually stop the process to check it out, how am I doing? I don't know about that. This doesn't feel like love. Yesterday maybe was a little bit more like love, but that only lasted two minutes. I don't know what happened to that, you know. But to just do it. Then you will discover, certainly at at the end of the experience, you can evaluate and um, make many decisions about this kind of practice or these kinds of practices, whether they make sense for you, what you want to pursue, 
what you want to drop. And you need to do that. Everybody needs to do that. But you don't want to do that like every five minutes while you're here, which, of course, we can do. I have a friend who um, was doing loving-kindness practice for maybe three years, something like that. And he was in New York City and uh, took me out to lunch one day. And he said, you know, I have this problem. He said, I've been doing this practice, and when I sit and do it, it's not all that different than it was three years ago when I started. He said, but I'm a completely different person. He said, with my family, morally, in terms of how I communicate, in terms of how I am in the world, he said, I'm totally different. And then he looked at me and he said, is that enough? (laughs) And I said, yeah, I kind of think it's enough. (laughs) You know, and especially with loving-kindness practice, I have found through my years of experience with it, that it's very often that way. You may not find this huge breakthrough experience when you're formally sitting or walking, but you will be different. You will be changed by it where it counts, which is in life. How you are with yourself, how you are with others, how you are with the sense of connection to life itself. So this is the time in a way to kind of do the work and not be judging it all the time and you know, giving yourself a hard time. You can really have fun in a peculiar kind of way here when you make that kind of commitment to really just let it happen and and to put your heart into it as best you can. Okay, so now I'm going to turn things over to uh, Mark and then Gina. So good evening. I'd also like to welcome you and just take this moment to appreciate the efforts that you've made to get here. It takes a lot of um, forethought and planning and schlepping and driving and just uh, take a moment to appreciate the journey it's taken you and all, also all the people who are supporting you being here tonight. All the friends, family, colleagues who uh, make this possible. There's a lot more people here than just in this room that we're sitting with. I also was appreciating the snow that we're just getting, and um, sometimes met as referred to as gentle rain. And for me, often the analogy is, you know, since we're in the Northeast, it's more like gentle snow. And as Sharon was talking about this idea of Sometimes meta can, the meta practice can feel very slow and very gradual. And yet it's like the snow. You know, it comes down, it's very fine dusting. And then we wake up tomorrow morning and the whole landscape will be this tremendously transformed landscape of white, gleaming, glistening beauty. So that is kind of how I see the practice is it is very slow. It's like drops filling a bucket. And um, I started doing this practice 22 years ago, and um, I'm glad I got a head start. Because uh, at the time, when I first started, it was um, very challenging, and I've appreciated over the years the gentle ripples that it that it's brought to my life and heart and hopefully to people around me. So I want to say a couple of things tonight. Um, 
let's speak a little more to the context and the container that we create here on retreat. Um, the first is really um, becoming clear about our intention for being here, our purpose. And um, it, sometimes it's useful to take a moment at the beginning of retreat just to reflect on your intention for being here. What is, it, what is it that brings you? What is it that tracks you to taking a week out of your life to come to a course, to settle into silence, to cultivate this quality of loving kindness, friendliness? Because that intention, that seed, will will bear fruit as we do the practice together. Another way of looking at intention is in every Buddhist country and and context, like a retreat or monastery, um, what's considered very central to the teaching is what's called the three refuges. And the the refuges are something uh, like a guide, like um, an orientation to where we place our value, to what we place our heart upon. So in our lives, we take refuge in many different things, in our work or relationships or money or career, something like that. When we come to retreat, we have very different values and refuges. We're taking refuge traditionally in Buddhist practice. We take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I'll explain in a moment what those mean. Mostly what we do when we come to a retreat or we undertake a practice is we're really expressing a seed of faith in our own capacity to cultivate these beautiful human qualities. The Buddha taught that it was possible to wake up, to become a fully awakened, free, compassionate, loving human being. That is all, uh, that seed of potential lies within all of us. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, really what we're taking refuge in is our own potential, our own capacity, our own innate capacity to cultivate the fullest potential of our humanness. And we take refuge in the Buddha because the Buddha was somebody who walked that path before us, who through his own diligence and perseverance and intention and practice, cultivated and awoke to his true nature, to to the true nature that's within all of us, and blossomed the fullest potential of what it means to be human. Blossomed the qualities of love, compassion, wisdom, equanimity, etc. So, so taking refuge in the Buddha, we take refuge in, this capa- in our own capacity, we take refuge in the possibility that he demonstrated, we take refuge in our own innate qualities, our own Buddha nature qualities of love and compassion, wisdom. So when you think about cultivating loving kindness here on the retreat, we're not cultivating something that's not already within you, it's not already there's already seeds, there's already embers that we're just fanning those, the, the warm glow of that as we practice. The second thing we take refuge in is the, what's called the Dharma. The Dharma literally means truth or the way things are or the law or teachings. So we take refuge in anything that supports the practices and the teachings that support helping us to open our hearts and minds to help us awaken, help us become more free. So in the context of this retreat, 
we're taking refuge in the practices, the practice of meditation, the practice of mindfulness, the practice of metabhavana, the cultivation of the qualities of friendliness and love, taking refuge in the context of the retreat, the silence, the, um, the schedule, all the things that we've created that help support your practice here. And we take refuge in the Dharma, we take refuge in the truth, in the way things are, we take refuge in these these practices because they lead to greater happiness. They lead to greater freedom. They lead to wisdom. They lead to ultimately to the end of suffering. So when I I take refuge in the Dharma, I like to reflect on the fact that these practices work and have been working for the last two and a half thousand years, that we had this isn't a new age practice that came out of California, that it's been true, tried, and tested. And that gives me great faith when I do this practice, that sometimes my job is just to sit, walk, show up on retreat, do my practice, and we let the, the teachings of Dharma take, take care of the rest. So there's a refuge in the Dharma, the truth, or the way things are. And of course, if we don't take refuge in the way things are, if we struggle with the way things are, what happens? We suffer. It's an inbuilt aspect of reality. When we go against reality, we suffer. So part of a practice is awakening to what's true. And lastly, we take refuge in Sangha. Sangha means community, spiritual community. And there's about 90 five of us here on this retreat together. So we're creating this, really we're creating a, a, a temple, a monastery, um, where we uh, create the conditions, the environment, to the most optimal environment to practice together. And I always think about the beginning of retreat. If you imagined that you were going off to a cabin somewhere alone for eight days to do a, to do a meta retreat, how much meditation would you do? Would you be getting up at 6.15? No. Would you be getting up at 5.30 in the morning and meditating all the way through to 9.30 at night? 15 hours a day? Probably not. (laughs) Probably lots of breaks and snoozes and naps and all kinds of interesting books to read and maybe some iPod podcasts to catch up on. So in the context of community, we practice so much more, with so much more ease uh, because because pr- meditating together, practicing together, just supports us. It supports our heart. We walk into the hall. There's a whole bunch of people meditating. It lifts us. It carries us. And particularly on a meta retreat where where we're cultivating this heart of friendliness towards ourselves, towards each other, you can also allow that um, goodwill to let it sink into your bones that somewhere at, at any time on the retreat, somebody is probably wishing you well, whether, you, whether they know you or not. So um, really take, take sort of drink, take in the, 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 the fruits or the blessings of this rare opportunity to practice together. If you think about how many people are on the planet and how few situations and possibilities there are to have eight days to just really get quiet, go within, and drink deep. It's a, it's a blessing. And how wonderful to do it with people who 
have a like-minded spirit who understand what you're trying to do. Don't go, what are you doing? Eight days doing what? You're not going to talk? What are you, what, <laughs> what's that about? You know, pe- people for the most part understand what we're doing here. Even though you may have those thoughts about four days into the retreat. So that's the three refuges. And what I'll do, sometimes we chant them in Pali, which is the, uh, the language that these that the Buddhist teachings are written down in. Um, I'll chant them in English. Th- I'll say them in English. Um, and you can just reflect to yourselves what these refuges mean to you. And as I say them, um, I just want to reiterate that it's, it's not, um, we're not asking you to become a Buddhist. We're not asking you to take any, um, anything that determines what religious orientation you are. It's simply to undertake something that supports what we're doing here. I take refuge in the Buddha, this capacity for awakening. I take refuge in the Dharma, in the truth, in the way things are. I take refuge in the Sangha, the spiritual community. So the second thing I want to speak to tonight is um, another aspect that supports the container or the, the, the temple, the monastery that we create here. We obviously want to create the most supportive conditions for meditation. We want to support, we create the environment where the heart feels safe, feels at ease, feels relaxed, feels open, is able to trust. In those kind of conditions, the heart more easily grows, more, more easily feels nourished and able to open. So um, when we start a retreat, we invite you to uh, take five ethical precepts or guidelines which help support this, uh, this environment, this monastery. And essentially, they're really expressions of a loving, kind heart. They're nothing esoteric. They're, some, they're, they're things that we would naturally wish for ourselves and for another person, but sometimes it helps to call them to mind to uh, recommit to uh, this really important foundation of ethics which supports the meditative life. And the first one is simply to refrain from taking life, to refrain from harming any other being, any other person, any other life form. It's really a commitment to living with a spirit of kindness, with care, to oneself, towards each other, towards all of life. It's... February in New England, so there's not exactly a lot of beings that may um, cause you irritation like mosquitoes or noceums or black flies or uh, deer flies or any other things that we might quickly want to eradicate um, with meditative precision. Um, so we're not tested so much on, the, in, on that level, but really at the essence of this guideline is to simply... Uh, m- since life is most the, the most precious thing any living form has is its own life, we're, ex, we're 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 bowing down out of respect to that, to us, to the life in ourselves, to the life in each other. So living with this quality of kindness and care, which really is the is the, the outflow of the meta practice itself. 
The second guideline is to refrain from taking anything which hasn't been freely given, hasn't been freely offered. And again, this is to create an environment of trust, of safety, where we can feel comfortable that our stuff, we can put it down, it will be left there. That's why there's no locks on the rooms. Um, so it's again, it's, it's, it's respecting each other and respecting the resources here at Spirit Rock. Sorry, wrong retreat center. Where am I? I'm jet lagged, sorry. <laughs> I just flown in from Spirit Rock. Now I'm in IMS. <laughs> and tomorrow I'll be hopefully still at IMS. <laughs> okay, moving right along. <laughs> So, respecting Spirit Rock's property, also respecting IMS's property. <laughs> and it's really, it's really living with it, with the spirit of generosity, with the spirit of abundance, and also with the spirit of um, <clears throat> care, basic care. It's always interesting when you come into the hall and you notice somebody else is sitting on your own zafu or has taken your blanket, or your chair, and how rippling and ruffling that can be to when we're sitting quietly in retreat. And, and these, these guidelines also support the fact that retreat, and on a retreat we get very sensitive, we get very sensitized, we, we get quiet. And so things affect us more than, more than normal. So it's partly out of that that we offer these. The third is uh, to refrain from any sexual activity while on the retreat. And again, this is in the spirit of uh, retreats are really a time to nourish ourselves, to really turn the lens of our attention inward. And mostly in our lives, our attention is very outward, and sexuality can be one way that can um, be where we, where we send a lot of our energy outwards in different ways, whether it's verbally, physically, mentally. And so we're encouraging you to bring that energy inward to let it go, the, the re- part of retreat practice is a practice of renunciation, and really bring that energy to ourselves and to our practice to give ourselves that gift. The fourth guideline is to refrain from um, speech that's unwise, that's untruthful, that's harmful. In the context of retreat, we invite you to uh, practice noble silence, and Gina will be talking a little, a little more about the practice of silence and the importance of silence in the container of a retreat. And I just want to say, uh, invite you to enjoy the beautiful silence. It's one of the rare gifts that we give to ourselves when we come to retreat. We live in such a busy, noisy, loud, distracted culture. And to be quiet for eight days, even though that can be sometimes feel a little intimidating, is a, is a, is it can be a very sweet joy. And lastly, to refrain from taking any intoxicants that cloud our mind that cause heedlessness. We're practicing mindfulness, we're practicing awareness, we're practicing qualities um, that ultimately will allow our actions to be more thoughtful and kind. And so we're refraining from intoxicants that cloud that capacity, which of course doesn't include uh, medication. So if you're on a medication, please continue to take your meds. So I'll just read quietly, I'll I'll read aloud those um, five guidelines and then just reflect on them for yourself as I read them. Knowing how deeply our lives are intertwined, 
I undertake the ethical guideline to refrain from killing and harming any living being. Knowing how deeply our lives are intertwined, I undertake the ethical guideline to not take that which hasn't been freely given. Knowing how deeply our lives are intertwined on this retreat, I undertake the ethical guideline to refrain from sexual activity. Knowing how deeply our lives are intertwined, I undertake the practice of noble silence. Knowing how deeply our lives are intertwined, I undertake the ethical guideline to refrain from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. So, that's what I have to say, but mainly I just want to wish you well on these wonderful eight days of practice we have together, and I look forward to working with you and interacting and enjoying the fruits of this. Thank you. So I'd like to um, add my welcome and uh, just tell you that I'm very happy to be here to participate in this amazing um, process that we all undertake when we come to sit a retreat. Before I continue, I'd like to just know how um, how many of you are first time to IMS. Hmm. So about half. And how many of you have been coming to IMS for more than five years? Welcome back, and welcome to the to the newbies. One of the um, traditions that we have at IMS is that, as uh, Mark and, and Sharon have mentioned, we value deeply the silence that is established in, in a retreat. It's a very rare and precious uh, thing that we participate in when we come. Most of us, as Mark said, it's, it, to come here takes a tremendous amount of energy, arrangement, uh, intention, uh, help, and cooperation from so many people. And it just, it's just a confirmation of how busy our lives are. And so, as both Sharon and Mark have said, it's a, it's a precious thing to be able to access this kind of uh, silence and ability to just be who we are 
without having to put on a persona or become engaged in the usual habitual ways of viewing ourselves, this opportunity to just be exactly as we are, who we are. As Mark mentioned, it's in a way creating the atmosphere of a monastery or a temple. And very much, very important part of that establishment of the container of a, of a monastery or a temple is this um, establishment of silence, which we generously give to ourselves and uh, to everyone who's here, the sangha that we take refuge in. So I'd like to talk just a little bit about um, that because we were talking today about the fact that um, most people, when they hear you're coming on retreat, you know, the thing that scares them more than anything else is the fact that you're not going to speak. How is it possible that you could actually voluntarily undertake to not speak to anyone for eight days. And it seems, if you've never done it, it feels like a really daunting thing. And uh, I drove a, a yogi up today, and and uh, she said, you know, all the time she's been coming on retreat, what people say to her is, don't you get bored? And she said, well, of course. Well, that's part, as Sharon said, it's, you know, part of, um, the whole landscape of a retreat is that we go through a lot of different um, moods and visitors come to the mind and to the heart and they may not all be exactly uh, the transcendent bliss that uh, you know, meditation's got a rap, you know, that it's transcendent bliss, as Sharon was saying. But we know when we've been practicing, and many of you have been coming and doing retreat work, that that's not always the case. So our establishment of silence is really to give ourselves the opportunity to uh, explore this vast inner landscape, this um, way of being, this amazing journey that we can actually undertake as an inner adventure to actually see who we are, to actually return to this notion of our original nature. So we participate in the silence by receiving the gift that is given by our fellow yogis, And we also participate in it by giving the gift ourselves. So for those of you who are new, it may feel a little odd that we actually establish this uh, way of being where we give a lot of space to everyone who's here. And we, at the same time, receive the space that everyone is giving us. So I'm sure Janet spoke to you about um, not um, not speaking and writing notes if you have uh, some need that you need to um, communicate with the with the staff or with us. And I'm sure she went through the mechanics of that. 
to really appreciate um, the silence. It's it's helpful if you know that it's a gift. It's not an it's it's not something that we impose on you to torture you. But that it's actually a gift that allows you to do this very very valuable and precious work. And since we're undertaking uh, this vow of silence, what I'd like to do now is to just have you meet the people who are sitting next to you. And I know for some of you who've been to retreats at IMS before, this may be a very scary thing to do, to actually look at people in the meditation hall. But it is a meta-retreat, and so we will be um, sending each other good wishes and well-wishing and and kindness. So I think it's really helpful if we, um, if we know who's around us and we actually start with um, overt, overt friendliness with each other. So would you just turn to uh, the person, the two people next to you and uh, the people behind you and the people in front of you and just acknowledge them, introduce yourself and say hello. No kissing. (laughs) It's okay, you can kiss. Good. And what's helpful about that is that usually in Vipassana retreats, we ask, because um, the, the work that we do is so intensely inner, we ask that, you not really spend a lot of time engaging people's eyes and looking at each other, etc. On a meta retreat, it's not quite. We try not to be quite as um, uh, strict about that. Uh, so it's it's fine if you meet somebody's eyes to smile, uh, but try not to engage uh, deeply or to stare at people, right? It's okay to just smile, nod, and move on to wishing them well and um, sending them your good wishes. And it, it really is, um, it's so valuable to respect those boundaries and to respect uh, the work that everyone is doing. Uh, we know that, uh, as, as Mark said, maybe, you know, the fourth day into the retreat, we say, "What? tell me again why I committed to do this and what it is I'm doing here. Uh, and so there may be a great temptation, uh, perhaps if there's a, a friend who came up with you to write a little note or um, you know, maybe even thinking of meeting them around the corner just to give a little scream or eek. But <laughs> it'll pass. It'll pass, and so you don't have to indulge it. Um, you can you can actually just uh, swim in the 
atmosphere of generosity that allows this monastery and this temple to be established. So um, I know it's been it's been a long day, and you've spent a long time coming here and getting everything together. So we're going to try to get you into bed as soon as possible. And so maybe what we could do is just have a, a short sit. Uh, I wish you, before we sit, I wish you a very deep and rewarding uh, practice and, and retreat. And... Uh, hmm? Ah, yeah. So in case you haven't seen the schedule, we wake up tomorrow at 6.15. Usually, the, after tomorrow, the wake-up will be 5.30. But tomorrow, we're, we're trying to be kind. So we're giving you an extra 45 minutes in bed. Right? Go figure. Uh, so we'll wake up at 6.15 Breakfast will be at 6.45, and this will be, this will be posted. So just so you know, you, you have um, till 6.15 tomorrow. So is there anyone here who's never meditated before as a beginner? Wonderful being who has never, ever sat. Okay. Hmm. Ah, anyone who's never done a retreat before. Welcome to you, too. It's not as scary as we're all saying. Well, maybe it is. (laughs) So settle into your seat, letting go of all of the words, thoughts, ideas. See if you can actually just arrive here on your seat. Just feeling the fact that you are an embodied being. Perhaps you can feel the pressure of your buttocks on the cushion or the chair or the bench. Allow your weight to completely settle into your seat so that there's nothing held back. Be aware of the muscles of your face. Let them relax to the extent they can. Let your shoulders relax. Let your belly get full on the in-breath.
Notice any tightness there is in any part of the body. Just notice it. Let it soften to the extent that you can. Let your attention fall softly on the breath entering and leaving the body, either at the nostrils, the belly, chest, or just the full movement of breath through the body, through the entire body, wherever it's easiest for you to find the breath. And just notice the movement. Sounds come and go. Sensations in the body may come and also go. Thoughts appear in the mind, also coming and going. As they pull the mind away from the breath, it's not a problem. Simply come back to the breath when you notice.
So have a good night of rest, and we'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.